As we look at this portion of Scripture this morning, we find that Timothy is in a difficult spot. Paul is about to die for his faith. He said, the time of my departure is at hand. He goes on to say, but I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also who love his appearing. So Timothy, so Timothy is, is watching as the Apostle Paul is facing death. And Timothy knows that he is the replacement for the Apostle Paul. And so Paul has been giving Timothy some charges in light of the fact that Timothy is going to be his replacement. The first charge was to be faithful to the Scriptures. All the way back in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13, Paul wrote, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Timothy, stay fast to that which you have heard from me. More recently in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 12 and following, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it. Don't let all the false teachers and don't let all those that are wandering from the truth affect you. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. Timothy is to remain faithful to the Scriptures. Those Scriptures because they are the infallible Word of God. All Scripture is profitable for doctrine, for proof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God might be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And because that Word is sufficient, Paul then gives a charge to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 1. I charge you therefore... In the presence of God and at the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ, preach the word. Be diligent in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. But after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. But as for you, so we're back to this, but as for you statement. Don't worry about those that are rejecting the Word of God. Don't be concerned about those who no longer want to be taught the Word of God, but as for you, you need to be remain faithful. Faithful not only to the Scriptures, but today faithful in fulfilling the purpose for which God has saved you. Faithful to the ministry. It would be easy for Timothy to become discouraged, for the people will not always appreciate the sound teaching, even as we have just referred to. Nevertheless, Timothy is to remain true to the ministry that God has given to him. So in our text, which is verses five, uh, which is uh, verses four and five this morning, we find out that Paul gives Timothy four imperatives. 
that Timothy is to follow in order to remain faithful to and complete the work that God has given him to do. Four commands are in these verses that Paul has for Timothy. And I would submit to you these are four commands that we can learn a great deal from in fulfilling the ministry that God has given us to do. So what is going to be required? What is Timothy going to need to do in order to remain faithful? Timothy's been serving. This is not a call to service. Timothy has been serving, faithfully, diligently. But the concern is that Timothy continue to be faithful, diligent, responsible. So what does Timothy need to do to assure his continuation in faithful ministry to the Lord? Well, the first, Timothy is to remain clear Headed. Timothy is to remain clear headed. Verse 5. As for you, always be sober minded. I have chosen to use the word clear headed to describe what is meant by sober minded. To be sober minded is to be self controlled as opposed to being out of control. It is to be disciplined, like one who is sober as opposed to one who is under the influence of alcohol. To be drunk is to be impaired. To be drunk is to allow other things to influence our behavior, our conduct. And again, it impairs our thinking. But he is to be sober-minded. To exercise sound judgment. Make wise decisions. And we've all heard the synonyms for this kind of living. To be level-headed, or to have one's head screwed on straight, or stay focused, keep your head in the game, keep your eye on the ball. All of these thoughts are continue to be on the alert and diligent in fulfilling the work that you already are doing. If we're not careful, our thinking can become clouded. If we aren't careful, we can take our eye off the ball. If we aren't diligent, there are other factors that can enter in that can dissuade us or deter us to be less than faithful and persevering. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, it describes Demas. And it says, Demas, in love with this present world, has departed from me and gone to uh, Thessalonica. So here is this worker of God, but he fell in love with the present world, meaning that he took his eyes off of eternity, he took his eyes off of judgment, he took his eyes off of the coming kingdom, and rather now his eyes were focused on the things of this life. And he found great pleasure in the things that are associated with this life, uh, whether they be pleasure or, or whether it be ease or whether they be comfort. But he found it much more desirable to live that kind of lifestyle than a, that of a sacrificial lifestyle in serving the Lord. And as a result, he departed from the ministry. So he says to Timothy, keep your eye on the ball. Stay sober-minded. 
exercise clear judgment. Don't let other things interfere with your perspective on service for the Lord. Secondly, Timothy is to be undeterred by suffering. There is much to discourage the Christian worker, but he or she is to persevere. Notice verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, and then these words, endure suffering. Endure suffering. Suffering here is a very broad word, a very generic word for many kinds of hardships or difficulty. Pain, misery, misfortune, loneliness, anything that would tend to deter, anything that we must persevere through in order to stay faithful to God. There are personal sacrifices that go along with ministry. If you go back to first Tim, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, as we, we trace the idea of suffering, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So there is a certain measure of suffering that comes just in associating ourselves with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is not welcomed by all. It's not going to be appreciated. Not everyone pats you on the back and says, thank you for telling us the truth of the word of God. But you uh, experience hardship, difficulty. Later, Paul says, everyone who is going to live a life of godliness is going to suffer persecution. If you look a little farther on in the text, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3, it says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ, 2 Timothy 2, 3. As a soldier has to suffer in order to please the one who enlisted him, the scripture says we have to suffer in order to please God. The soldier brings many limitations to his life many restrictions that those that are not involved in military service don't experience. Those of us who are not in military service have a tremendous amount of freedom that those in military service don't enjoy. They have a limited amount of leave to be with their family, to be home. They are sent to different places around the world at a moment's notice. They have to live in barracks. They have to, to live and shower with other people. Sometimes when they're uh, on the field, they have rations, they have uh, foodstuffs that aren't the best. There's all kinds of limitations that come upon a soldier simply because of their service for country. The thought is that there are limitations that come upon our freedoms that restrict us in our service for God, there are certain limitations that people who aren't interested in serving God don't have. Okay? It affects our finances. We tithe. People that don't know the Lord, they don't bother to tithe. They don't, they don't give a tenth of their income to the Lord. And so it creates certain limitations for us 
that doesn't create for others. You are here this morning worshiping God. There are others that are out flitting and doing what they enjoy. Uh, Maybe gone away from the weekend. Maybe playing some sport. But the point is that, that we, in our desire to serve the Lord, have brought certain limitations upon our lives in order to please Him. There's also the hardship of people that oppose the ministry. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8, well, let me go back. 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Know this, that in the last days perilous or troublesome times will come. For men will be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. So it talks about those who love themselves and concludes with those that love pleasure more than lovers of God. Obviously those aren't people that are going to sacrifice. Those aren't people that are going to be willing to give into hardship. They're not going to persevere because they love pleasure more than they love God. Even as Demas fell in love with his pleasant world more than his love for God. Well, what happens then? Well, we get to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8. talks about those that just as Johnny's and Jambres opposed Moses, so these also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. So we're going to encounter people that oppose our ministry, that oppose the truth, that fight against the things of God. And you have to endure that hardship. Then there's the hardship of those that simply don't appreciate the Word of God, as described in just a few verses previous to our text. It talks about those that in the last days will heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, uh, following their own passions. There are going to be times when we are going to have to persevere through the hardship of when our particular ministry or involvement with the Word of God seems to be producing very little fruit. When it doesn't seem to be accomplishing a great deal. For it's talking about those that are hearing the Word of God, but are not interested in it. And they're going to turn away. But he says, as for you, (coughs) in that very context, don't be like those who turn away from the truth. You continue not only to delight in the truth, but preach the truth. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, preach the word. Stay faithful to the word of God despite hardship and difficulty. Third imperative is to continue to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Continue to proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. Verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, and now this, do the work of an evangelist. Do the work of an evangelist. In order to fulfill the purpose for which God has saved Timothy, in order to fulfill the ministry to which God has called him, 
Timothy says to, excuse me, Paul says to Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. In order to fulfill the work, Timothy had to do more than simply remain orthodox in his theology. The first half of the letter was remain faithful to the word. Have confidence in the word. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, and righteousness. Therefore, preach the word. Okay? It has its implications. It has its ramifications. Don't just remain faithful to the word, but now minister that word. He cannot bury his head in the sand. He must remain concerned about the lost. He must not let all the negatives of people refusing the word to deter him from continuing to preach the gospel. He can't let the fact that so many have rejected the gospel to be a deterrent for him continuing on sharing the faith. He can't let chapter 3, all of the troubles that are existent to keep him from sharing the gospel, for the gospel is the answer to those troubles. For the gospel is the answer to that indifference. The gospel is going to be the instrument that God is going to use to bring about change in the lives of others. We must not lose sight of our responsibility in sharing the gospel with others. If you turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verse 1, it reads, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to praise the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first shares of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember, Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, is preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. So Paul is saying, I'm, I'm suffering. I'm suffering as a criminal. I'm suffering as an evildoer. But the real reason I'm suffering is because of the gospel. Nothing evil at all that I've done. I've simply been proclaiming the truth. And he goes on to say, but the word of God is not bound. Don't be discouraged by what appears to be ineffective when in reality that word is continuing to have power. But notice specifically verse 10 of chapter 2. Therefore I endure everything. Because that word is not bound, therefore I endure everything. Put it all into one basket. Whatever it is, whatever the hardship, whatever the difficulty, whatever the misery, whatever the pain, I endure everything, and now notice the reason, for the sake of the elect. The day also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus. And when we preached on this verse, I stressed the idea that for the elect to be saved, they must hear the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We are chosen before the foundation of the world. 
But there's a point in time in which we actually, quote unquote, are saved. There's a point in time in which we are brought into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. We can say, I was lost, and now I'm found. Election is no excuse for not sharing the gospel. In fact, election is the very reason for sharing the gospel, because God has a people, people will respond, people will be saved. We can have confidence that if we are faithful in proclaiming the word of God, we know that people will place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. For that is his will, that is his purpose. The word of God is not bound. Therefore, Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was not primarily an evangelist. Uh, Timothy's work would not be characterized solely as evangelistic. Uh, Timothy is charged in chapter 4, verse 2, with preaching the word. And it doesn't say preach the words, plural, but preach the word, meaning the entirety of the scriptures. Uh, He was to preach the whole counsel of God. Uh, He was to oversee the church. He had many responsibilities and duties. But among them, he was to do the work of an evangelist. There are people who are uniquely gifted by God to be an evangelist, to be a proclaimer of the truths of salvation. And there are people that God uniquely uses to bring others to Christ. Uh, One such person is Philip. In Acts chapter 21, verse 8, it says, On the next day we departed and came to Caesarea, and we entered the house of Philip the evangelist. Uh, Philip is characterized as an evangelist. That was his work. That was his duty. That was his ministry. And Philip was very effectual. I've already mentioned the death of Billy Graham. Billy Graham was an evangelist. Billy Graham was a person that was incredibly used by God. Millions of people heard the gospel as a result of Billy Graham's faithful ministry. It is incredible the way that God used that particular individual. Many, many people came to faith as a result of the ministry of Billy Graham. I'm just curious. Anyone here this morning that came to faith because you were at a crusade or you heard a Billy Graham film or you heard Billy Graham? Anybody, is that your testimony? Would you raise your One, anybody else? Two, three? Okay, we've got three people here this morning. Never personally have met Billy Graham, but have come to faith. And I would imagine that almost any congregation in the United States today that's evangelical, that if you ask them of if it's of any size, if there's somebody who came to faith as a result of the ministry of Billy Graham, that you would have hands raised. That's the kind of effect that he had. Chances are you are not going to be the next Billy Graham. But who knows, okay? And I hope that there are people in this uh, congregation who uh, God will 
raise up and who will have the gift of evangelism and who will want to be uh, spending their, their days, their time in sharing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It would be wonderful that there would be people in our own midst that God would desire to use in that way and would be an instrument of grace in the lives of, of many, many people, bring them to faith. Well, most of us don't have the gift of evangelism. I do not have the gift of evangelism. But we all have a responsibility to evangelize. We all have the responsibility to share our faith. We all have a responsibility to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. We all have a duty appointing other people to Jesus as their Savior, as the one and the only one that can deliver them from their sins. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. We all have people in our lives that don't know Christ. We have relatives. We have friends. We have co-workers. We have neighbors. We have people around us. And though that is not our gift, and though that may not be our primary responsibility, nonetheless, we all need to be sharing our faith. The concern is that Timothy, though faithful, though serving, though loving, though committed to the word of God, might be discouraged from sharing the gospel with other people, not seeming to be effectual, because it's being opposed, because there are hardships that are associated with it. It's not enough to be a quiet Christian. It's not enough simply to maintain our own belief in sound doctrine. It's not enough to simply be inwardly persuaded of the truth of God and not to be drawn away from the temptations that exist in the world. I'm telling you, it's not enough for us simply inwardly to delight in God and want to glorify him without opening our mouths and sharing the good news with others. And there's a huge temptation to do just that. To privatize our faith and to live quietly, though faithfully, to the Lord without identifying. To be ashamed of the gospel. So the fourth and ultimate um, charge or imperative is found at the end of verse 5. Fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry. Paul says to Timothy, fulfill the work that God has given you to do. Everyone here this morning has a purpose for which God has saved you. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, unto good works, which God before ordained that we should walk in them. God has determined for us things that he wants for us to do. He has a ministry for us, and we need to be careful to complete it. 
We need to be careful to finish it. We need to be careful not to stop halfway. God has a purpose for our lives. A very well-known book, published a number of years ago now, was by Rick Warren, entitled uh, Purpose Driven Life. Many people have, have read that. If you haven't, I encourage you to read it. We have two copies back on the library table right now. So if you rush out after the service, you can be one of the first two there and grab it up and read it. But uh, it's well worthwhile. For it talks about how God has a purpose for each and every one of our lives. Uh, I, I think you will find it to be beneficial. God has a purpose in saving you. Paul addressed Archippus uh, in the letter to Colossae. And he was concerned that Archippus would complete or fulfill the ministry that God had called him to. In Colossians 4.17 it says, And say to Archippus, See that you fulfill the ministry that you have received from the Lord. Be sure that you complete the work that God has given you to do. Paul, in the next two verses, is a shining example. For he says, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. As Paul looks at the end of his life, he says, I've done what God has called me to do. I have finished. My work is completed. I'm now ready to enter into the presence of God. As long as you're on this earth, your work's not done. Your work is completed when you enter the presence of God. The question is, are we going to fulfill the purpose for which God has saved us? The Christian life is not a sprint. A life of ministry is not a sprint. It's not giving yourself wholeheartedly, completely for a matter of three months. Or two years. Or five years. The Christian life is a marathon. We're going to look next week at Paul's statement. When he says, I have finished my course. We're going to look at that in some depth. But it's, it's a marathon. I finished my marathon. The question is, are we going to finish our marathon? Um, Demas was a person who started out well. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, it says, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Again in Philemon, verse 24, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. There Demas is referred to as a fellow worker. But look down just at verse 10 of chapter 4. For Demas, in love with his present world, has deserted me, and God to Thessalonica. Here is this guy that started off well. He's a fellow worker of the Apostle Paul. He is commended to the Colossians. He's, he's commended to Philemon. And now Paul says, he left. 
He deserted me. That's the fear. That's the fear. That having start, started off well, that we drop out of the race, that, that we let other things enter in and we don't complete the work that God has called us to do. So I implore you this morning, be on guard. Stay committed. Stay true. Keep alert. Be sober-minded. Be willing to endure hardship, affliction, the difficulties that come. Yes, it's not always easy. But we continue on. We persevere. But what if we have dropped out of the race? What, what if other things have gotten our attention for a period of time? What if we haven't been faithful? What if fear, love of this world, hardship, anxiety, whatever the case may be, what if for an extended period of time we have been unfaithful to God? Let me tell you about another person in the scripture who departed. That's Mark. In Acts chapter 15, verse 36, Paul and Barnabas are discussing going out on a missionary journey, going back to the places that they had originally preached the gospel. And in Acts chapter 15, verse 36, we read this, and after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with him John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. They are ready to go out on a missionary journey. And Barnabas says, let's take Mark. Paul says, I don't want to take Mark. He, he left us in Pamphylia. Okay, We were continuing on. For whatever reason, and we are never told in the scripture what was going on in Mark's life. Uh, I, I think there are some hints. Uh, that's the place where the leadership of the team flips from Barnabas to Saul. I think there's some reading between the lines. You can see some things, but, but we're never told specifically. All we know is that Mark left the work. And Paul says, let's leave him behind. Mark says, no, we ought to take, Barnabas says, no, we ought to take him. Paul says, no, we better leave him behind. And they actually split over that and parted ways because Paul didn't want to take Mark. Look at verse 11 with me of chapter 4 of 2 Timothy. So Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Almost a throwaway thought. Remember that this is Paul's last book. This is at the end of Paul's life. This is the end of Paul's ministry. 2 Timothy 4.11. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. Now these words, for he is very useful to me for ministry. That is one of the most glorious verses in all the Bible. Here is this restoration. Here is this forgiveness. Here is restoration. 
remark. He is very useful for the ministry. I would say to you, if you've been unfaithful, if you have been beating yourself up in your life because of some decisions you made, because of having walked away, of departing, of being unfaithful to God. We could look at Peter and his three denials and so on, but let's focus on Mark, who had left the work. But Mark changed. Mark became committed. And, God, and Paul says, bring Mark, for he's very useful for the ministry. My thought to you this morning is if you know the Lord is your Savior and you're doing a work for him and you're purposing in your life to focus on bringing honor and glory to him, sharing your faith and fulfilling the work that God has called you to, wonderful. Persevere. Keep it up. Stay at it. Do whatever necessary to remain faithful in that work. Remain clear-headed. Don't be deterred by hardship and suffering. Continue to do the work of evangelism, sharing your faith. Hang in there. And I say to you this morning, if you, if you wandered, if, if you got lost for a period of time, if there are regrets and you wish that you could go back and do things over, you can't undo what's done. But you're not obligated to continue to live in the past. Today can be a fresh start. Today can be a new commitment. Today can be a day that says, you know, yeah, it's, it's true. I let other things get in the way. I kind of fell in love with the things of this world. I've blown it in some ways. Well, today can be a day in which you say, I'm going to fulfill the work that God's given me to do. I'm going to live my life for him. I'm going to remain faithful. I'm not going to be worrying about what everybody else does. But as for you, Paul says to Timothy, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Uh, I encourage you today that if you need to recommit your life and your service for Christ, do so. Do so. Don't wally, don't uh, wallow in self-pity or regret. But rejoice in God's forgiveness and restoration and go forth excited and serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Our Father, help us to serve you. Help us to remain faithful in that service. And Lord, if we've been unfaithful, uh, Lord, restore us to faithfulness. Work in us. Strive with us. Bring about repentance in us. And uh, equip and enable us to be very useful for the kingdom's sake. For we want to bring honor and glory to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.